Jordan and Gretzky, Serena and Ruth Remembering great ones is easy to do But what about the no names who spent their whole lives Long stepping footballs and catching sack flies They're guys, remember that guy Alright, here's the moment you've worked a total of 16 weeks for. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the new champions of Dancing with the Stars, Emmett Smith, and Remember That Guy, the show where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players, past and present. Hey there, folks! Hope you're ready for a dose of reality with me, one of your hosts, James, and my excellent dance partners. Yes, doing my salsa on the way up to the stage. You know, it wasn't the first time that Emmett Smith just barely edged somebody out for a record. The first one was Sweetness, and we have the second one in that infamous episode of Dancing with the Stars. It is our very special guest. Please introduce yourself. That's right. It's me, the runner-up that season, the very special guest, Xavier. You know, I, I thought I had it, and then my body realized, wait, I don't know how to dance, and Emmett Smith just passed me. Okay, so quick, quick bit. Who thinks that they can guess the runner-up in that competition? I will tell you, this is season three of Dancing with the Stars. Any guesses? Season three. It's not Ocho Cinco. It's not Ocho Cinco, but we are looking for a member of the Latin community. It can't be J-Lo. Not J-Lo, but change that first name. Mario? It is Mario Lopez. Well done, Diaz. Nice. Love it. Love it. Mario Lopez was probably my first favorite celebrity because, as my mom likes to remind me, I would always say, my open, my open, my open. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a delightful memory, Diaz. But I wonder if perhaps there's anyone else making delightful memories for you right now. Well, well, I I was saying it before we started recording, James. And you know, today's Thursday, which means that yesterday was Wednesday. Beautiful day for all the loyal fans in Diazville. All of our favorite teams came through with some big wins for the home team. And at first, it started off with the Champions League returning to Newcastle for the first time in 20 years. And it couldn't have been a more grand occasion. It's PSG with arguably the best player in the world, Kylian Mbappe, coming into St. James's Park. I went to Fado, which is a nice Irish bar in Philadelphia. For the first Champions League game against Milan, I was the only Jordy there. This time, however, there was a solid about 10, 15 of us. So it was my first time watching a Newcastle game with other Newcastle fans. Jocelyn's a Newcastle fan, but she's more so tolerant of my yelling as opposed to joining (laughs) in with it. So it was great to be surrounded by fellow maniacs. Miggy puts it in in the 17th. And the longest goal VAR check of my life, uh, because first of all, it started earlier than I actually witnessed, because as I learned, Xavier was also watching this game, and we're in a group chat together. And Xavier messages, as I'm staring at just a dead ball on the screen, how didn't Dan Burns score that? Big Dan Burns. I'm, like, I'm like, oh. I guess something's about to happen on the screen right now. I will pretend Don't to not know. Don't you love when that happens? Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't want to ruin the immersion for everybody around me either. But it, it looked like it was an incredible save by Donnarumma. But it wasn't. It did go over the line. And after checking, there's like three or four different things that could have disallowed that goal. That they all had to look at. And all of them came back Newcastle. 2-0 in the half. 3-0. 
We also get, so Dan Byrne, the hometown lad, gets the goal. Sean Longstaff, the other hometown lad in the starting 11, gets the third goal. And, I mean, PSG did pull one back, but it was never in doubt. And especially when Fabian Cher, with the greatest banana slip goal of all time, straight into the upper right corner to seal it as extra time started, it was unreal. It was probably... And I also have the authority of like Newcastle fans that I was watching with that are much older than me, who will also say it's the greatest win that they've ever seen. So arguably the past 40, 50 years, this was the greatest win that Newcastle has ever managed. And it was just beautiful. Killing Mbappe put in the back pocket of Jamal Lascelles, who played three games last year and captained us back up from the championship. You can't write a script like it. No, no. you you could try and it would be rejected because people would say, hey, he he already lost the World Cup this year to like the greatest person of all time. You've done too many terrible cliches for this script at this point. It's it's not a great year to be a Kylian Mbappe. It will be a great year next year when Real Madrid gives him like three billion dollars. You don't think Um, he's coming to Newcastle? That was I was starting that propaganda a little bit amongst our little group. I was like, you know, guys, I'm just saying Mbappe could be taken in by this atmosphere. Here's what I'll say. If Xavier's going to insist on trying to get my hopes about Shohei Otani, I've decided to say Killian Mbappe is going to Newcastle. See, the only problem with that, though, is, you know, that after that game yesterday, MBS called up the Emir of Qatar and said, suck my dick or something like that. (laughs) Like, we have more money than you. Your time is over. Just trolling him as much as he possibly could. Yeah, but we that's going to happen either way. Let's do, let's oil, also get Diaz happy in the grand scheme of it. Our oil money is bigger than your oil money. Your oil money is shriveled and puny. Ours is massive. And <laughs> I mean that. And like as I was alluding, that's just the start of my wonderful day in Diazville yesterday. Because then the Phillies never in doubt in game two after it was never in doubt in game one the phillies just need to win one road game in each series the rest of the way they only got to win one because nobody's going in the citizens bank park and beating the phillies with that crowd especially if they keep giving us these night game starts and a philadelphia crowd is a solid six seven hours to get boozed up before first pitch Good luck, other teams. That's all. It's a competitive advantage, and it is frustrating. And I do think MLB needs to look into legislating that out. Cannot be a later first pitch than 4 p.m. in Philadelphia. They'll still be tanked. It'll just, it'll just. We're we're talking in the point ones instead of the point twos. It's all right. I tried to even it out by my very neutral celebrations on uh, on Tuesday. That's right. Yeah, you were like being the only sober person in that stadium, Xavier. You know what? It was very interesting because I'm there in a, in a box for work and some of the people there, you know, were there just because making appearance, but there were a lot of diehards who were getting a lot of free alcohol from that suite just going wild. It was very loud. Even even though I'm not surrounded like just by sitting, you know, in in a row, I still felt my ears splitting during some of Wheeler's strikeouts. We will keep dancing on our own. How many times have you listened to that in the past week? Today, I listened to Local Hero about 15 times, and I listened to that. I listened to Dancing on My Own about 15 times. <laughs> Is the playlist just those two alternating? I like to throw some Rocky in, too. 
I would get okay. a little training montage going because it, it, it hits the Philadelphian, you know. Little Eye of the Tiger. And, of course, the Bladen Races I've been mixing in as well. No you dreams should have seen us down in. I got to say dreams and nightmares for when I really need it. My one contribution to the Philly series is it was really cool when the crowd was singing Bryson Stott's walk-up song before he uh, hit the, what, second ever Grand Slam in franchise history in the playoffs. Yeah, Shane Victorino back in 08 on en route to the World Series. And, hey, it is statistically factual that every postseason in which the Phillies have hit a Grand Slam, they have gone on to win the World Series. We're one for one so far. Could go to two for two. <laughs> Well, speaking of number two, let's go ahead and look to our number two, Xavier. Other than that delightful experience I'm sure you had in Citizens Bank Park on Tuesday, anything else making memories for you right now? Yeah, I got a couple things. So first, FIFA decided to announce a year early the World Cup hosts for 2030. And if you thought a North American bid of the USA, Canada, and Mexico was a lot, wait till you see the three-continent Portugal, Spain, Morocco, with a little bit of Argentina, Uruguay, and Paraguay mixed in for 2030. Because there were three bids for this World Cup originally. It was Portugal and Spain. It was Morocco. And it was a joint South American bid to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the first World Cup that was held in Uruguay. South America does not have the infrastructure for a 48-team World Cup at this point, And neither does Morocco. So what they did instead was have Morocco join the Iberian bid and give those three South American countries automatic qualification and one game each. And if you think to yourself, how is a World Cup going to work when you're having games in South America and then flying those teams to Europe and Africa, you would not be alone. James, I know, had been kind of turning around to it I'm but, I'm fully around. I'm fully around. I will say real quick what I said yesterday when Xavier brought this up to me, which is if you really want to cut South America out of this, that's fine. I just want to take a moment to recognize Xavier's obvious pro-colonialism sentiments that he is expressing by favoring Spain and Portugal over the global South. I just I, I think we all need to take note of where his sympathies lie. And what what did I say about Morocco after that, James? That at least we are getting, you know, one of the Uncanos. And actually, I'm even coming further around on this now. I'm fully in favor of the Morocco Spanish Portuguese did now because we get to celebrate the delightful history of the Moors. And when they took over the entire southern portion of the Iberian Peninsula, really all this is is an extended viral marketing for some Othello remake that I'm sure is coming out. Well, maybe you'll feel a little bit differently when you learn that it has taken less than 24 hours for there to be friction over this announcement by the countries that are going to host it. As both Spain and Morocco have claimed that they will be hosting the World Cup final and arguing that the other one should not be allowed to host the World Cup final for various reasons. We had a whole thing about this like seven centuries ago. I thought we settled this. (laughs) Yeah. Spain Sports Minister (laughs) Miguel Iceta said that you know, they expect the, the final to be held in Spain. What is Spain's football federation doing, thinking it has a fucking, like, leg to stand on right now? Why the fuck are any of us listening to anything that the Spanish football federation has to say after the last, like, half a year of bullshit? And Get the fuck out of here, Spain. So, with, I mean, they just got rewarded with the World Cup. So, you know, they might feel that there's no consequences for any of their actions. But uh, Fuzi Lekja, who's the head of the Morocco Football Federation, said that their goal is for the final to be in Casablanca and saying that's their expectation. 
And Spain and Morocco, I don't know if you know this, but they have kind of fought each other for literal decades over the fact that Spain colonized Western Sahara and the northern part of, of Morocco for the longest time, while the rest of Morocco was colonized by the French. There are still two enclaves of Spanish cities in Morocco. Like, they, they still have somewhat rocky ties. And now they're trying to figure out, okay, which one of us gets to host the World Cup final while Portugal just sits over to the side and says, we're just happy to be included. Meanwhile, Argentina has already come out and said, hey, actually, we want more than just one game. Fuck Uruguay and Paraguay. They can have just one game, but we deserve way more than that. So now Argentina is trying to get on the same level as Spain, Portugal, and Morocco, which would truly make it a split three-tournament World Cup. I am down on it then. Yes, that is dumb. I mean, one game in each to commemorate. Beautiful. Here's my thing. If, if we're expanding, let's not just expand. Let's go to a two-site. Let's, let's do it. 24 teams is 48, right? 24 48. go to South America. 24 go to Europe. You battle it out. And then you have the grand championship on like a carrier ship in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> Neither team gets a home field advantage for the final. Both are just having their own little tournaments, and then you meet up somewhere about 500 miles off the coast of Miami, I think sounds about fair. Was it Teddy Roosevelt who said that a good compromise is when everyone comes away unhappy? Everybody would be furious at my solution. So that means it would be a really good compromise. (laughs) So, you know, there's still another seven years six and a half years for them to fight more over who gets what and who's going to host what so we'll see how that goes i would not want to be fifa and have to deal with six different countries arguing on who should host what and how many and where seems like they made things unnecessarily difficult for themselves but that seems like the story of fifa but sticking with soccer i brought it up before but the story of ki klocksvik the faroese island team that is the first one to ever participate in a European competition group stage. Today, they got the first point for the Faroe Islands ever with a nil-nil home draw against Lille, who were the champions of France just two years ago. Defend home court, man. Didn't let a single goal at home court. It was 13 shots to two, but they didn't allow a single shot on target, so not a single shot went in the goal, and they got that first ever Faroese point. And we have great respect for the Faroe Islands on this show. Can't give up a goal if there's no shots on target. That is actually one of the primary tenets of my XG model. (laughs) Ball no go in if ball no go two. I mean, that is flawless logic. I cannot argue with it in the least. The last thing that I want to talk about that I also, you know, really wanted to bring up was I read this great article on The Athletic titled, He Cannot Profit Off His NIL, He Built a School Instead. And this is about Maddie Sissoko, who is the center on Michigan State's basketball team. And Maddie is from Mali. And not just anywhere in Mali, he is from a very, very rural area deep in the western part of the country. When Maddie grew up, there was no schools in his town. His town has no electricity, running water, schools, any of that. And he would have to walk an hour and a half or so each way to past multiple neighboring villages to get to school. During the rainy season, it was impossible to get there, so there would just be long stretches where he couldn't go. And through a massive, like, 
set of circumstances that included, you know, a lot of Peace Corps stuff. His brother was able to talk to some Americans and got him to be able to go to America, where he is now, again, starting on a very, very good team. But because student-athletes from foreign countries are on student visas in America, they're not allowed to make money. So they can't actually benefit from NIL deals the way other students can. And so Maddie found a bit of a workaround in that, although he can't profit on it, he was able to set up a foundation that could solicit money that otherwise would have gone to him for NIL to benefit his hometown. And because of that, he was able to build the first school ever in his town, built a well to give people their first ever running water in the entire town, and an irrigation system to help with the farming. And now kids from all over different villages come to that school because it is the first one in that area that is not hours away. Like through his, the foundation that he started, you know, he's continuing to literally change the lives of all the people in rural Mali where he is from. I love how he confronts this problem and he essentially does what Bender would do. And he just goes and starts his own school. Although probably not with as much gambling or promiscuous women. It, yeah, it does I, not I, seem I to have I don't think that would be it. <laughs> think it's just the school, but it is the first school. And also water, because again, they did not have running water. It's a censored network broadcast version of Bender's plan to build other things. Went to build his own casino with educational opportunities and irrigation. <laughs> Well, that's Speaking absolutely. of other opportunities, James, I'm sure there are other things that are, you know, make memories for you. There are. I will start with the two significantly less delightful ones. Real quick, back in June, I mentioned that FINA was <laughs> debuting a third category at their Swimming World Championships for trans swimmers. I just wanted to mention it may surprise no one to find out that this is being closed after zero people signed up for it. So, way to go, FINA. Uh, shocking that no one wants to go in this category that for one clearly no one else is going to go into on top of just saying like yeah you're other just check the other box and you'll be fine sucks but i mean it's not happening uh one thing that is happening you know how in star wars galactic emperor sheev palpatine just appears to everybody all the time as both the emperor and as darth sidious in a hologram like it's the only way you ever see him as darth sidious in the in the prequel trilogy and it's very unnerving to like see him all the time and i think whether or not intentional you know it's part of the thing that dehumanizes this deeply evil force this hologram anyway the dallas cowboys this week debuted an ai hologram of jerry jones that you can talk to and it's fucking oh, no. terrifying why did you do this dallas cowboys like they put out this video on twitter it is a holographic depiction of Jerry Jones. And you can ask him any question because they made a Jerry Jones AI. Like they made a chat GPT of Jerry Jones. And you can just ask this terrifying hologram that will tell you the answers that terrifying Jerry Jones would give you. It just a deeply unsettling thing that somehow combines the worst part of like the Star Wars villains and also the Terminator Skynet. I'm not happy about it. And I need you all to know that that exists. But I do have a chaser for all of these terrible things. We'll talk about it when it's done, but let's go ahead and acknowledge it before it happens. We've got the Aces-Liberty Finals matchup that we have been dreaming of since the preseason, and like, sometimes, it, it's good that it doesn't happen all the time, but every once in a while, like when you kind of in your head pencil in a finals matchup that you want, and you get it, 
it, it's great. It is a fun thing to happen. Now, this is not exactly the matchup I think that we envisioned initially. Candace Parker, the biggest. I, I will not actually say the biggest. I'm going to say Alicia Clark is the biggest offseason signing. But Candace Parker was certainly the biggest name that came to the Aces as all of the names were moving around between these two teams. She's had surgery. She is going to miss the finals. Rakuna Williams has some domestic violence problems. She will also be missing the finals. So the Aces don't have them. They have basically zero depth. And New York is incredibly good. So I admit I talked a lot of shit before the season. I'm going to go ahead and acknowledge it's probably going to be Liberty in four this time versus Aces in four. We're going to steal one. We are going to steal one and we'll meet again next year. But one thing that if you had predicted this matchup, you could predict initially was that if you were to get the Aces Liberty matchup, you would get the first ever matchup in the finals between coaches that also appeared in the WNBA. We have, of course, on the Aces side, we've talked about her at like Becky Hammond, Spurs legend, in addition to being a New York and San Antonio legend. For the Liberty, we have, you know, another multi-franchise legend, Detroit, Miami, Seattle, this is Sandy Brondello. Real quick, though, do you guys happen to know where Sandy Brondello was from? Australian, right? Crocky. Crocky. <laughs> that is correct. She is indeed Australian. Diaz, thank you so much. Uh, she was a former teammate on the Opals of Lauren Jackson and Tully Bevilacqua, in addition to a Seattle teammate in 2003, the year before they won the title. But she's had a whole head coaching odyssey since then. She comes up initially also with San Antonio. She is Becky Hammond's coach for a little bit there in San Antonio, both as an assistant and as the head coach briefly. Is an assistant with the Sparks for a couple of years and then had a long time with Phoenix, where in her very first year back in 2014, which is Becky Hammond's first year coaching, she's over there in San Antonio, wins a title in her first year, just like Sandy Brondello. One with the Phoenix Mercury that year. I believe that is the last title that Diana Taurasi uh, has as of recording this. But it's a really big moment. It's like a cool coming of age of this league. It pairs very nicely with the expansion. This is, of course, though, if we're going to mention expansion. Diaz, I'm sorry. We do have to put Kathy back on the list. We need to put her to task because there are basketball cities that have led a tortured existence for many years, many decades, and would benefit greatly from the presence of a basketball team that can actually inspire hope that they might one day win a championship. And the yet-to-be-named, yet-to-be-announced, I would name them the Freedom, but the yet-to-be-announced Philadelphia WNBA team had some brief flickers of life earlier this week when the WNBA hinted strongly that they would be expanding. Philadelphia, as I've said many times, is a city that would benefit greatly because we need a winner here. And you know who doesn't need a winner? The city that stole the fucking most successful basketball team we ever had professionally. And then they went and win all these championships over in fucking Golden State. And they have Steph Curry and they have Klay Thompson and they have Draymond Green and they have Steve Kerr and they have four NBA championships, I think. At least. It's, uh, and it's, it's three. No, four. No, it's yeah, not three. Won the- yeah, it's four. Four and six. I'm so tracks. flustered. Because winning four championships, I can't even conceive of. Amongst all my teams, I've only had two. And they had four. And they said, fuck you to Oakland. They started the whole fuck you Oakland thing. And they started the whole fuck you Oakland thing. And now, worst of all, this city of San Francisco that has stolen so much joy from me now gets a WNBA team. They don't fucking need one. Okay? They got enough. They've had enough successful basketball there. They don't need more successful basketball. Philadelphia needs successful basketball. Kathy Engelbert, you basketball terrorist. 
You must answer for your crimes. And by answer for your crimes, I mean, just please give me a women's basketball team. That's all I want. I'm surprised you're want. you're more mad about San Francisco and not the idea that they're going to add two West Coast teams in the exact same part oh, of, of the world. Not. I think because, that makes perfect sense. They're building off a long culture in the PNW, like Portland getting one back after having one before. Like I, the Portland one makes perfect sense. And I guess if you're going to have ah. Portland and Seattle, like Joe Lacob has openly wanted one for a while. He had the ABL San Jose Lasers back when he was talking shit on the W. So it Portland's is kind of funny. A, that Portland's getting did. a second chance before Philly gets a first chance. And I, 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 I hate that. I would love it if they would just do, if they're going to expand one East, one West. Portland just lost Dame, so I'm not going to pile on to them. Portland, you get a win. Good for you. <laughs> lost the greatest player in your franchise's history, but you do get a WNBA team now, too. I think that levels out to about net equal. But we have a huge debt over here in Philadelphia. And let's not forget the WNBA is ran largely in part in conjunction with the NBA. And therefore, I can hold the WNBA and Kathy Engelbert accountable for all the Colangelo shit. She's just as much liable. And the only way she can make it up to <laughs> okay. me is okay. by giving me a WNBA team. That's the only way she can make it up to me. And now the monkey Paul Curls and Jerry Colangelo is named president of the WNBA expansion team. <laughs> God. I mean, you did call the Nuggets title earlier. We've called some bad things. But it is not a bad thing that we're getting this finals matchup. We're all super hyped for it. Those are all of the memories being made for us right now. That's what we've got. But there's something else we have right now. And I'm going to go ahead and turn to Xavier to uh, take it away from there. Yeah, we have a guest today, a very special guest. Actually, the very special guest who is the special guest of the very special guest. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Caitlin Perez. I'm married to the very special guest, Xavier Perez. And I have come to uh, share a guy. I got a guy to share with you guys. You've come um, to the right place, Caitlin. <laughs> so I have little to no point of reference for sports at all. So I had no idea what I would actually be most useful to bring to the table. But I'm curious too if you guys have any uh, point of reference for reality TV at all. There, I love I, it. I know the big guys. I know me some Survivor. I know me some Amazing Race. I know me plenty of the cooking ones. Okay. And I am aware of the culture that has existed around The Bachelor and The Bachelorette for the last couple decades. That's, that's more my tone. Not We've, even necessarily just The Bachelor, but like that genre. Like so dysfunctional. It's so messy. Love is Blind. All that shit. Uh, Temptation Island is probably my number one. Um, Are You the One was also great. But all things along that romantic line within the genre, I'm a huge fan of. Love that. Because that is actually um, very topical for this specific reality show that I am going to bring to the table. It's because it takes the elements of almost every single show that you guys have described and shoves it all into one show. So it's as if it was The Bachelor as well as Survivor as well as The Amazing Race and kind of American Ninja Warrior all shoved together with a lot of alcohol and also a lot of personalities and a lot of fighting, but for big money. So when um, I see American Ninja Warrior, the number one thing I think is these people should be drunk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that would make it better. Drunk and fighting with the person they're racing against. That would I be. I do think that part. I, I non-ironically think that part would make it better. They're, they're ninja warriors and yet there's no combat. It doesn't make sense. 
And also exactly. American. And, Amer and Americans love fighting each other, too. All three of those words imply fighting, and there's no fighting. Thank you for proposing this fix, Caitlin. I think it's a great idea. So luckily for us, this does pretty much exist. There is a show that has some origins like in the early 90s. I'm not going to reveal just yet, but it has been coined America's fifth sport by a sports analyst named Bill Simmons. And when I said that name, Xavier recognized it. So I felt like I was on the right track. <laughs> I, I think... We Bill Simmons is big enough that not only do we know him, I think we all have like opinions on Bill Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it would largely fall to annoying but important and relevant to the sports pop culture scene. This just reminds me of when I was with someone the other day who found out they were going to be going to a Sixers game and they're like, Yeah, I think they're playing the the Celtics. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> Celtic FC. So the person that I have brought originates from a show called The Real World. And I'm assuming that has rung a bell. The story of this show tracks all the way back to the real world as well. The real world ran for like 33 seasons and they had seasons in all different cities and all different places. You know, eight people like young adults living all together, working together. You know, when do they stop being polite and start to get real? And um, there was a season of the show that created a spin-off show for MTV called Road Rules, where a season of the show, um, some of the castmates had gone on a road trip, and that was enough for them to be like, we can make a whole show out of this. And they did the real world in an RV instead of in a house. And as they are driving across the country in an RV, they get these clues that they have to then, you know, go do missions for. And they're very low-key. I, I have never seen the show because it is for, it only ran until like 2007, like 1992 to 2007. And one of the clips I found was, go find Al was one of their clues. And when they did, it was Al from Home Improvement. So it kind of shows how perfectly dated in time that show was. So they basically took... All of the people that they had on the real world from, you know, when the show started and the people from Road Rules. And they started to find more opportunities to kind of extend their 15 minutes of fame and thus created the challenge. So the challenge started out as a show where it was just Road Rules All-Stars. So instead of having eight brand new people come in and do the same show, they had people that were popular for being the villain, popular for being the bitch, popular for being... You know, like the nice guy and like creating new dynamics. So it's just like the people who were interesting in all of those other seasons. Then, because it was the sister show to the real world, they brought in people from the real world and people from Road Rules and had them do challenges against each other as teams. So it's like all these castmates from different seasons of the real world, different seasons of Road Rules coming together to basically win so they can win money at the end. That is like the baby version of what the challenge then became. And after a couple of seasons, they dropped the whole like world rules, all stars or real world versus road rules. It just became the challenge because it was then a little bit easier for them to not be so locked in to just using those shows in the future. It seemed to be like a really good move. Have you guys ever heard of or watched the challenge before? I, I have definitely heard the challenge and been like, oh, yeah, that is a reality show. I know mm. absolutely nothing about that. I'm currently on the Wikipedia page, not trying to spoil too much, but I did just <laughs> want to see the names of some of the seasons. And there's exactly one I just want to ask 
Real is quick, it Dirty 30? Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> I knew it. it. I knew is it was Dirty 30. Dirty 30 is the best name. It's, it's not the best. No, it's not the best, but it is the first one I had to ask. Really? They did that? Yes, they did, because they got their 30 dirtiest players to come in and backstab each other so they could win a million dollars. But yeah, it's so funny. So Xavier has absorbed a lot of this in osmosis because I watch it in the living room and every once in a while they'll do something pretty explosive or massive or someone will do something cool and Xavier will kind of like get it in the periphery or in the side of his ear as I'm watching it. But yeah, I did not start watching the show until... Season, I think 20. Like 20 is when I finally got to start watching it. And I retroactively watched some of the older seasons, but they're really hard to watch because the show originally was very much like reality TV show stars. We're going to have them get drunk, wasted, live in a house together, date each other, fight each other, and also compete in challenges on the beach or, you know, challenges like bungee jumping things, like different kinds of physical things that were not crazy intense, but enough to create a little bit of excitement, create some rivalries, and those storylines would then lead through the season into another season. Um, Especially because when you were going through the list, you probably saw there's a lot of seasons that are like, rivals exes battle of the sexes there's a bunch of different like themes for the different seasons typically based on storylines they created like throughout many seasons of the show and basically like i said it started pretty like rinky dink a lot of beach games some things that were a little physically taxing perhaps like swimming related but most of it was something a regular person could probably do and as the show goes on, you can kind of see that there's competitive nature that like brews between people, as well as this is a lot of money that we're playing for right now. These reality TV shows stars who bring the personality, because we already know that they must have been a big personality from their show that they came from, then start to train and start to get really good at doing things. They start to get really muscly. They start to get really smart and they start to understand how the game is played both strategically as a TV show, as well as like as a actual game where you win money in the end. If I may for one second, so the, I I know some of like the evolution of Survivor. Survivor is like the one reality show that I know some of sort of the lore behind. And this makes me think of uh, the person that I believe is referred to as Boston Rob, who's one of the first players as it's been described to me. Again, this is largely secondhand and like reading, not that much watching but largely like one of the first people to have been a fan of the game and come up like training himself with the meta game, not necessarily coming into just this thing that someone was hungry for a television appearance was given the opportunity to do. Is that largely what we're seeing at this same shift? At this point, yeah. There's a lot of like, I've been a fan of the challenge for years. I'm on this show with people I've watched forever. And like, I know how this is played. And unfortunately, it is to the show's detriment overall right now, because the attitude and uh, what people were willing to do on TV in 2003 is very different than what people are willing to do now, regardless of like, if you're coming from another reality show. There's this idea of like, I don't want to give them anything where they can edit me to look like this. I have to go back to work when I'm done with this. I can't be a drunken mess. I can't be hooking up with people on TV. So there's a lot of restraint and it's very sanitized now because of that. And because they know so much of the metagame, it does take a little bit of the interest and the tension out of things. 
There's also the TV producers themselves are kind of worried about. I know there was a girl who got trouble for a racist thing, and they just edited her out of the entire season after it was already done. So there's like weird cuts. Yeah. What was her name? It was D. It was height of 2020 things happening. Um, and she had made a statement that was bad taste. It was not good. And so, like, as the show was airing, they had already aired the first three episodes, and she was a main character in the season after she put out a statement that was not great. They, like, as the episodes were coming out, were cutting her completely, having to basically create new storylines with the computer to make the show flow without her in it anymore. Which is wild that they can do that. And it worked. It worked. Apparently 2020 was the highest ratings they've ever seen. Because uh, everyone, it was like summer of 2020 that it came out. and never. I was going to say, there, there might also be some other factors for that. Down. It's like you had nothing else to do. And that was, and I think that was something I read in the articles was that sports lovers were finding that they were enjoying the challenge because there wasn't live sports happening like in the peak of 2020 the way that obviously they do now so this was like something that was interesting enough at least with physical competitiveness that they would be interested in something that kind of captured the total madness of it all at the time that uh, yes being- exactly that is the season title and that season starts out with just so we have a, a full vision of where it went from rinky-dink beach games to that season starts out with the host, who is TJ Lavin. Um, I don't know if that's a name that rings any bells. He's a BMX professional guy that hosts yeah, the okay. That's interesting because Dave Mira also has two non-consecutive yes. seasons that he... So do they just go to the like BMX find veteran him. circuit to find their hosts? Pretty much. <laughs> They're just like, you're interesting enough. <laughs> we'll get in here. Um, and that season total madness starts out with tj lavin driving a tank like uh, the contestants are carrying cargo and having to solve puzzles and so if they are not solving them fast enough tj's tank will run over your cargo and like it's so wild how the scale has grown so much in like the last you know 20 years or whatever obviously i appreciate that we're hearing about this as the new saw movie comes out with that last <laughs> yeah I mean, there's also, there's been a lot of uh, injury on this show. I mean, this show could be a Final Destination or Saw on its own in a lot of ways. A lot of broken ribs, concussed, people who have broken their wrists or their hands and continued to compete because they could not leave at that point. Like, they were so dedicated to finishing it out. Um, Which kind of leads into what I'm about to say next, which is how... This could have been a show where it was just, you know, beach games, but because people were getting so serious and invested in their ability to compete and how much they wanted to win um, or compete with someone that they hate or anything like that, because they were so dedicated and took it so seriously, then other people around them started to take it seriously and the competition just grew immensely. So it went from people who were drunk and playing dodgeball to people climbing mountains and swimming in like rough waters off the coast of Puerto Vallarta or whatever. Like they they do all of the challenges in different countries typically as well. So it creates a different environment and makes for more interesting challenges. Basically, as each reality show contestant comes onto the show, you do kind of fall into either a maybe you're a layup someone who is uh, perceived as weak or not smart that you could either get rid of easily right away or take them with you all the way to the final so you can guarantee yourself first or second place. Uh, We'll get to the final. 
You could be someone who is a veteran who has been on the show enough that they know the ropes, they know other people, and interpersonal relationships become important because those are the people who will be eliminating you each week, essentially. There are people who are perceived as, like, the nice guy, people who are perceived as the floozy, the, you know, like, everyone has a different perception of themselves. And there are some contestants that are powerhouses. So they come, and after years and years of trying, they win, and they win, and they win. Um, And there are people that love them and people that absolutely hate them because they can make the show more interesting, but it also can get a little stale if the same people are winning over and over again. The final of the show basically is they, in their location, sometimes they'll move to a different country if they have been in like a warm place. Sometimes they'll change things up and take them somewhere with snow. It is a long and grueling, usually multi-day adventure that can involve swimming, hiking, rafting, climbing a mountain. It could be if you stay up all night, you get extra points in the final count tomorrow to see if you will win. And they're typically playing for like third place gets 15 grand, second place might get, you know, 50 grand and first place through the years has gone from like 250 grand to almost a million dollars. And sorry, the last important thing before I talk about my guy (laughs) is that when it comes to elimination, they will have the daily challenge. Whoever wins the daily challenge gets immunity. They're safe. Sometimes they get extra power, kind of like Survivor. And then the loser goes to the elimination round, which could be many different kinds of things. It could be strength. It could be mental. um, It could be agility. It could be strategy different kinds of eliminations and then the other the person you go against an elimination is chosen by the group or by the person with power so there is an element of having good relationships with people there's an element of backstabbing there's an element of loyalty it um is all really intertwined which creates interesting stories and really pushes people through all these different seasons because it all kind of is interconnected to each other so just to make sure I fully am caught up, the immunity works the same vis-a-vis like an individual small group or team is just safe. They just go yes. on through because they did the challenge. But then there is not, while there is still a social element, there's not a social element of like a vote. Rather, you do have to compete to remain on at that point. Correct? There is. Um, there's the element win- of like pairing you up, but then you have to play out. Yeah. So like, when you win, like depending on the season, it can be like you as a pair, like you, if you are competing with your ex. Sure. If it's like a team year or if it's a pair yeah. year, or if it's a single pair year, year. Like, yes, that, individually, that totally yes. so then you are immune. And sometimes like di- different seasons have different rules. Sometimes it is you get to choose who is going to compete in the elimination round against the person who lost the challenge that day. could be for any reason at all. And that could be the team or the pair or whoever it may be. And so there's this element of, like, keeping your friends close and enemies closer, uh, a lot of drama. It's like, you said you would never vote me. And it's like, you can't be in alliance with everyone. There's a lot of tension that's built up around that. And then the eliminations are essentially a, a, a sudden death. So it's like, whatever they're competing in, one stays, one goes, and then you move on. And you have to be careful because if you're the winning team and you're choosing, you know, who's going to go into the elimination... If that person you. wins, then they come back and they know that you put them out to dry and they'll be gunning for you for Should the rest of the season. Should have when you had the chance. Literally. 
So we have arrived at our guy. Our guy had to start on a reality show before coming to the challenge, and his reality show was the real world Paris. It was 2003, and he was 23 years old. Our guy's name is C.T. Now, if you've ever watched the challenge, that is a name that you know already. He is an incredibly huge personality, and he brings a lot of... I'm going to say, as soon as you look at him, you know that he's going to be an intimidating competitor. When he went on The Real World, you know, he was 23 years old. He was working at a bartender and going to college. And he was already a hot-tempered kind of guy with a thick Boston accent. So you kind of got this idea of the character of who he was just after a few moments of listening to him talk, the way that he was fighting with roommates, hooking up with roommates. You knew he was going to be good TV. So, of course, right away, they plucked him out of the real world house and put him right into the challenge the year after. And he came in as a force. The first two seasons he was on, he made it to the final both times and did not win either time. He was on a team of, like, the real world people. And then the other season, it was, like, the badasses versus the good guys. The There's corny themes for almost every year. Then he did end up, like, he did take a couple challenges off here or there, but a lot of the time he kind of did back to back to back to back to back. The first three challenges that he did, he made it to the final twice, and then the third one he had made it right before the final, before he got eliminated. And then he took a little break and came back. So here's where the interesting part starts. So CT, of course, we know he fights a lot. He's a hot-headed guy, and he is a intimidating competitor so there was kind of a loophole where if you got someone to punch you in the face then that person would be eliminated from the show a metagame started to evolve where you would get drunk and get in people's faces and try to make them beat the shit out of you so that they would be sent home and eliminated from the game and that unfortunately (laughs) has happened several times this is exactly what I would do because like like when I played basketball, I was the guy that like I would throw an elbow into the guy's rib when I knew the ref wasn't looking. And then the second the ref turns around, I would flop to the ground like I love this tactic. This, we, this is we have a yeah, quote from the guy that got punched here. What are you going to do? Punch me? <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's like there's the old saying, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. If you ain't getting shit faced and trying to get people to punch you in the face, you ain't trying. And that's very real. And the if you look for the clips of these fights now, it is a moment locked in time of drunk people outside with 40s taped to their hands, trying to like yell at each other, pouring beer on each other's heads and like being held back by five different castmates and security guards because... That was kind of why CT was interesting as well as that he was so hot headed. He's like what at one point um, some one of the castmates like you already you punched him. You got him. He's done. He's like he's a mess. And they're like he's not done until I kill him. Like he is. I and I he mean, at that has, point, like you've gotten kicked off the show. Get your money. Yeah, exactly. So both um, times he got DQ'd for violence was the very first episode of each season. Um, so he went far in his first three and then he got dq'd almost immediately in the two following for fights the first one 
I think it was more just like a drunken, innocuous moment. There isn't a lot of lore behind it. The second one was with one of his real-world roommates from the show, who was kind of, you know, meddling with his relationship. He had dated someone on the challenge for a long time. They broke up. His roommate started to, you know, let his ex-girlfriend vent to him about how awful he was. And then he went to approach CT about it, and CT clocked him a lot. Um, so he got eliminated. Now, the beauty of the challenge is that while that was against the rules to, you know, like punch someone and you had to get kicked out of the show, they noticed how juicy of a storyline that is and the tension, how beautiful that is. So when they do bring you back and they purposefully pair you with someone who you hate that you have to now work with to get to the end, a.k.a. rivals. So. While there is a little bit of in-between between getting DQ'd and coming back to be a teammate with the person he punched in the face, it's more like he's getting his act together. He took a couple seasons off. He came back as a quote-unquote mercenary where just for one episode, they brought him in to eliminate people. Anyone they was tossed into the elimination, they had to fight him. Um, and there were some pretty iconic moments that came out of that, but none that would make any sense right now. Finally, we get to Rivals 1, and he is paired with the person he punched in the face. And they almost made it to the end. During this season, though, everyone is terrified of CT. He is psychotic, he's crazy, he's punched people in the face, you know, no one go near him. And so one of these people, his name is Wes, takes it upon himself to throw CT's mattress out of the window in an attempt to get CT to punch him in the face so CT would go home, because he is a scary competitor. This time, after CT's done a little bit of character development and growth, he does not. He gets in his face and he screams at him, but he does not punch him. So there is still a lot of fun tension, but no one is throwing hands anymore. And you can see that like we've matured a little bit. So his character development begins. Because Rivals 2 is a season that exists. It comes back around again when Rivals 2 happens, and it's like, guess who your partner is? It's Wes, the guy who threw your mattress out the window. You got into a screaming fight on the show. And so there's always this like revolving door of you want to have bad relationships with people because then they will keep bringing you back. Um, and the same goes for when he dates someone and breaks up with someone, Battle of the Exes exists. So they bring you back to compete with the person that you are no longer in a relationship with, to work together to win money in challenges where they make you get close to each other. Sometimes they'll make you even kiss each other, like to bring up big feelings and bring drama and bring story to it. At this point, CT did a solid amount of challenges and he had not won any of them until Rivals 2 with the person who threw his mattress out the window. He finally had won a challenge. Up until that point, he had just been slowly getting more even keeled and less you know loose cannon i have a quote here from right before he won his first challenge which was in 2013 so this is like almost 10 years between 2004 his first challenge and the one where he won i really want to win this i feel like i'm one of the best competitors to ever be on the challenge and at the same time i feel like the dan marino of the challenge one of the best quarterbacks ever hall of famer doesn't have a ring i don't want to be dan marino i want to be tom brady so he shares Boston this quote. motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> the most. And then he wins. So he went from being on the show for 10 years with nothing to show for it to finally getting a single win. And 
the rest of his trajectory from there is pretty solid. He won Rivals 2. He went to a lot of finals. He showed that he was working really hard and he was someone to be scared of. In the end, he has currently done 19 seasons of the challenge, went to 10 finals, and won five challenges altogether. A lot of the challenges that he's won has been really recent and consecutive. So he went from being the loose cannon to the beast. Like, you don't want to go up against CT so that no one would throw him in elimination because they knew whoever went up against him wouldn't come out and CT would come back angry. He did have, like, another small character arc where he became a dad. And then MTV actually did a special for his wedding, which was a very bizarre turn of events. And I do believe that he is divorced now. But he became, like, dad bod CT, who then, you know, realized that he's out of shape. He was eliminated from a show really early by a rookie, the Total Madness season. Um, and he then went home, got ripped, and won, like, three seasons in a row. To the point now where... I think they've had to officially change the format. There's a brand new season coming out very soon. And it is called Search for a New Champion because CT's kind of won the last three in a row. So they have it so all of the people competing, no one has ever won. And they're having CT and other veterans come back just to beat them in eliminations. So they had to say, CT, you can't come back because you're not allowed to win anymore. Someone else needs a chance to win. You can only ruin other people's dreams indirectly now you can no longer do it through your own success exactly which is kind of a, a bit of the bummer of it all because the show unfortunately while it was at its peak and people were fighting and people were drinking and people were you know screwing around and dating no one really had any knowledge of what a digital footprint was everyone was being really authentically themselves on reality tv in the early 2000s and now we're at a stage where the real world is done. The real world has stopped um, airing seasons since 2019. And long before this, they've had to start pulling people from other shows to come be on the challenge. So it started with Are You the One? And then they brought in some people from The Bachelor, Survivor, Big Brother, Love Island, American Ninja Warrior. They have people now from all over the world because they have franchised the challenge out to other countries. So now they also are bringing those people in for like world championships. And it has become incredibly sanitized because while the level up of athleticism has gone through the roof, you cannot come to the show unless you have trained your butt off. It is also very restrained. No one is really willing to get into it with people, which does not create storylines, which does not survive the test of time. It's a lot of very boring, pretty people competing and no one is being really memorable. So there was a bit to CT of his memorability and his presence that has been lost within the new rookies of the last couple of years. Caitlin, I just want to say, you know, you came in here with some self-conscious feelings about your lack of history with sports. And let me just tell you, you are being a crotchety old man about the game these days at like a, a 12th grade level or something like that. So like real. You're doing a, a great job of being like these prima donnas nowadays. Not it's just good. not the same since they instituted the shot clock. It's cancel culture. That's what it is. It's the cancel culture is <laughs> coming to get them. Yeah, I think I, I will. Uh, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm happy to be a crotchety old woman who's uh, 
who's complaining about how her show was better when she was too young to technically watch it. <laughs> and uh, now it's just sanitized and not interesting. But we'll see. We'll see what they have in store in the future. Maybe we'll turn uh, things around. They could. Just broadly about the state of reality TV. I do feel it is in an era in which it is overproduced. You got to just put the cameras up and let the wildebeest do their thing. You can't guide the wildebeest to the water. You got to let them find it themselves and beat the shit out of each other on the way. Caitlin, a very specific species of sports fan that you're seeing now is the person who tells the refs to just swallow the whistle. Like, refs swallow the whistle, umps get out of the way. Let them play. Let the players go. You should talk about some of uh, CT's iconic eliminations. I feel like that gives a like yeah. a, a, a bit more flavor of what an elimination is actually like. Yes. Yeah. So he, of course, like we said, is intimidating, but it doesn't really paint the picture of what it would be like to go up against him. Eliminations can look different every single time you go to them, but there's one that has stood the test of time for decades at this point. It's the Hall Brawl, a.k.a. you might know it as the Oklahoma Trail. Um, so basically, I, oh, the Oklahoma drum. I, yeah, for football at least, I'm I'm gonna assume that this is similar. Yes, the Oklahoma drum. As the only three of us that was dumb enough to volunteer and sign up to get CTE and play for their high school football team. Mm-hmm. Two exactly. guys, you lay on your back, head to head. Oh, fuck, by about yeah. ten yards, and the coach blows his whistle, and you get up and you just run right into each other. Yeah, that's, 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 yeah. that's all okay. the drill is. I do know this. There's now. nothing more to it. Yes. And as far as I know, that is, I don't know if it's illegal or just like, you know, disbanded in general that you're not supposed to do that for that exact reason. But we do it on reality TV and uh, we do it in a hallway, a very skinny hallway with a bell on each end. Sometimes it's done on your own where you just run headfirst into the other person trying to get to the other side. Sometimes it is done in a team where two people run headfirst into the middle to kind of block the way for your partner to try to get around to go ring the bell on the other side. So CT, who is, I think, like 6'4 and beefy. Well over 200 pounds. Well over 200 pounds. And also just scary. Like I said, when he did get into a fight, he's like, he's not done until I kill him. When he is feeling committed to the show and committed to winning, that is exactly the attitude he has in the ring as well. So a lot of physical eliminations like that, no one stands a chance. And even like the toughest competitors... The backpack. Fail. I know, the backpack is coming. So the season where he came on as a mercenary, he did not compete in the season. However, he came on just to kick ass and take games. He basically had a challenge where two guys were strapped back to back and sat on the floor and there was a barrel on each end of the ring and your job was to get to your barrel and knock it over with this person on your back trying to get to their barrel and knock it over he was up against another one of the biggest competitors of all time johnny bananas who has won seven seasons of the challenge and he has a wikipedia page and ct does not so that's where johnny bananas is Exactly. And his current state of his career is uh, to be on a reality show called House of Villains, where they just have villains from all different reality shows living <laughs> together. <laughs> but basically, 
they're both, you know, absolutely monsters. They're both monsters. No one would want to go up against them. So they're competing against each other. However, when the whistle blows, after all the other times that people have done this, it's a lot of wiggling around on the ground, kicking at each other, you know, clawing for minutes to almost an hour to get to your barrel because they're fighting just as hard as you are. CT stands up and just walks over to his barrel with bananas at his back, feet in the air, like trying to lock his feet underneath CT's feet to get him to fall down and nothing working. And it takes not even 10 seconds for him to throw Johnny Bananas and himself into the barrel and win. And he wasn't even playing for money. He was just playing for fun. He dents the barrel. He's just standing so terrifyingly, just like stomping down while Bananas is flailing like this on... Someone who is also intimidating, being seen kind of like a puny little wimp on CT's back. And that was coined the Bananas Backpack to the point where Johnny Bananas then started to sell backpacks that were Bananas Backpacks. I, and, and I hope CT is getting a fucking cut of that. <laughs> <laughs> only in pride. I think only in pride. I, I got beat He's like I, Bananas. He, bananas was like, I was the backpack. I am the backpack. But while Bananas has a lot of notoriety for being an absolute asshole, winning a lot, and just being good TV in general, I felt like CT was my guy because he had a lot of growth. He went from being a reckless, drunk 23-year-old who was punching people in the face to someone who was an underdog that won, had a lull, but then came back as the champion that they couldn't stop from winning over and over and over again i think the dm stuff like really helped his growth too it's true i didn't know if there was a good time to bring that up so i'm gonna toss it in because it is another part of why he became so popular was that um he had dated a girl on the show her name is dm uh she they met on the challenge they dated for a long time um it didn't work out because her name is dm it's d-i-e-m diem like carpe diem okay so it's diem's diem's got it yeah, yeah, yeah. So they met on the show. They dated. Unfortunately, she was wanting to follow her career and he wanted to settle down together and she broke his heart. This all happened prior to him punching the other guy in the face. They did break up and it was awful. When they did break up, unfortunately, CT's brother during like a break between the show was murdered by a gang. And he came back angry, which is why it was something that happened so quickly when he did come back and he, you know, got DQ'd almost immediately because he was not in the right headspace to be there with his ex-girlfriend who, you know, apparently there was drama about how she didn't come to the funeral. So there was a lot of baggage from home that was coming along with them. DM also did not have a happy time because she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and then spent a lot of her time on the show being a spokesperson for it um dealing with chemo still coming back and competing and kicking ass like she was also a very strong competitor so there was a lot of will they won't they They they're coming back to the show together are they gonna get together again they still love each other um and because like between him having these tense relationships with the guys and having this like lost love with dm his storylines were endless and uh, it also did create a lot of understanding for him sympathy for him and then they did end up kind of getting back together 
until um, Battle of the X's 2. They were they competed together on X's 1. They almost won. They came together on X's 2, and unfortunately, DM had just been recovering from chemo. So she was medically cleared to come, but then, like, became ill while they were on the show, and they had to medically DQ, and then she did end up passing away in between the seasons, which then caused CT to take a couple seasons off before he came back, you know, a little half-heartedly, and then, you know, came back with new vigor after that. Because of all of the tension and the romance, it really created a lot of growth for him as a character on TV as well as just like as a person and that's what made him the most interesting i think he's got a lot of depth a lot of angles to look at well we've seen the different angles now we've got the perspectives and it's time for us to take a look in the round at this guy Xavier do we have to talk about recusal or do you still feel like you can be a, a neutral voice in this guy beauty you know what we can, i can recuse from this one I, I like CT a lot, but I, I think Caitlin's presentation stands on its own merits, and I, I don't doubt the two of you making the right decision, even without me. Well, Diaz, where do you lean on this decision initially? I mean, first of all, wonderfully lawyered statement there, Xavier. I mean, that was <laughs> just, no wonder you're one of the 50 most powerful unclaimed property lawyers in the whole country. <laughs> Five, if I'm not mistaken. We'll Here, go 50, 50 for 50 now. Just we'll there's 50 states. Apparently, you have a lot to do with Oregon. 50. I think 50 is a nice fair number to say. Um, no, I, the, the, the thing about reality TV is like my biggest criticism of it today is that it's overproduced. However, the best people are the ones that realize like what they're on. You know what I mean? The people that play the game within the game. The people that play the meta, as you put it, Caitlin. Like, those are my favorites, and that's where you really get the best contact. And CT, while I've just learned of him in this past hour, seems like as good of an example of that ethic, I guess. Not ethic. Mentality. Of, of, of that mentality, of that prototype. He is one of the best examples that there could ever be of it. And I also, so when you brought up the clip of the, the backpack thing, I obviously, I immediately looked it up, Caitlin. And okay, good. His face is like, like I've seen Aaron Donald when he gets in his three-point stance and he just goes to a different place where it's like, this is an absolute fucking psychopath that is not going to be stopped from getting to what they're going to do. Like there's, there's, a, there's a snarl, there's a flare of the nostrils that also happens during a snarl. The eyes are unblinking. And really my favorite was like, he got mad when Johnny Bananas, like, tried to throw his foot to, like, trip him up. He's like, you fucking little bitch. You think this is going to do anything to me? And defiantly stomping his foot down. I, I, I love him. I love him. I, I just learned of him. What's, it's like the meme from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine with Stephanie Beatrice. Like, I've only had this guy for one hour, but I love him. And if anybody does anything to him, I'll kill you all and then myself. I need <laughs> CT in my life. It's pretty great that someone who, based on the idea of these challenges I've been described so far, almost certainly has given CTE to other individuals, including himself, Absolutely. has the name CT. It, that is very appropriate. If I may real quick touch on a couple last things from the challenge that I want to mention. First off, we would be remiss if we did not mention that the challenge Champs versus Stars at one point featured not a whole of guy inductee put up for consideration. Victor Cruz. Victor Cruz was the, uh, the guy for that. There is something that 
while I love the Lazarus Lake like escalation of oh well you guys want some more in this challenge fine we'll give you some fucking more there is one thing about their escalation that infuriates me and that is a stretch from season 7 to season 15 and this is just me being very easily distracted by typographical choices we'll say so in season 7 we have the gauntlet season 8 we have the inferno season 10 we have the inferno 2 but it's ii the very next year season 11 we have the gauntlet 2 numeral 2 Fast forward a couple years, season 14, the Inferno 3. Okay, fine. We're just doing Arabic numerals now, doing the digits. Nope. Next season, Gauntlet 3, III. There's no consistency. It's incredibly frustrating. They stick with the Roman numerals for the rest of the run, except for Dirty 30 and War of the Worlds 2. I do kind of get War of the Worlds 2. There is already one thing that has both War, World, and II in it. So we don't necessarily <laughs> need to like double up on that. Uh, let, I do let, let the record show that they did absolutely make use of Roman numerals for Dirty Thirty, as they were drawing X's a lot of sure. the time. It's so X X X Dirty Thirty. So they found that was the perfect like meeting point grounding of it all. That's where we could have just okay, and now we're never doing a number again. We've just made our piece there. Uh, I do love that his last season that he won his Spies, Lies, and Allies. Okay, that's all of just the random stuff I wanted to say about just this show that has been vexing me slightly while we've learned about it. I love it though. And I do love CT and turn on one thing. And that is the idea that if this is a show that starts initially as a, a challenge to have all kinds of feeder leagues of other shows, sending people towards it. And it also becomes this thing that has a bunch of fans and is drawing from that fan base. There's a part of me that wants as many of those fans as possible to get a shot. And there is a part of me that says, this guy takes up a lot of oxygen in the room. Uh, speaking as someone that sometimes takes up a lot of oxygen in the room, like I know that that is, it, it's a double-edged sword. I do think I lean more towards the other edge of that sword, which is that like, it is worth it to have this kind of a long-time character. I think it is worth it for this show that most years seemingly is churning out two seasons a year to have this, rock this lodestone that their compass can continue to point towards and i really appreciate what you said about him coming like his thinking of himself as a sort of sporting figure his thinking of himself as this great competitor who has fallen short and then is able to change that narrative by finally winning and then by becoming this you know dominant force and and to think that it all started with like faking reviews for Paris restaurants while he was in Paris not doing the job he was supposed to do for the real world. I'm going to spend a lot of time on the Wikipedia for this, and I think we will have a lot of time to do that because, Diaz, I have to say, I don't think I have any issues with bringing our friend today into this big, beautiful hall. Nor do I. So without any further ado, the games that we watch on Sundays, they are about the teams, but they're ultimately about the guys. There can be no great show. There can be no great team. There can be no great event without the guys that make it happen. And time and time again, MTV has gone to the bullpen in their time of need. And they have gone to our guy and brought him in to save many a season. He is self-aware. He is underscore famous for nothing on Instagram. He has won over a million dollars in his career on the challenge but most importantly of all he's the latest member of the hall of guy welcome ct tamborello to the hall of guy Yay. 
<laughs> this this also feels like someone we could maybe get this information to someday. This seems like someone that if we started trying to reach out online to tell him he made it into this hall, be like, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll tag CT on on Twitter and Instagram, and then when he and when we respond, we'll tell you, Caitlin. All right, I'm looking forward to it. Although <laughs> they say not to meet your heroes. Let's see, people who know that they're in the Hall of Guy: Doctor Kevin Dyson, Johnny the Fourth. Molly Schuyler. Okay, so we've got three. That, I believe, is end of list. <clears throat> I think there's one more. There's, I, I'm pretty sure there's one more who liked their plaque on Twitter. can't remember. Who, I think it was a basketball player. I hope they did. But you know what I hope more than that is that you, dear listener, liked what you just heard. Uh, if you did, there's some people that you, along with us, can thank. For one, we can thank, of course, our guest, Caitlin, for joining us. In addition to that, we always want to thank our producer, Craig, and all the coders behind him. We want to thank our musical director, Don Ham, for our lovely theme music. And we do thank you, most of all, dear listener, for joining us. If you are hoping for a second bonus episode today, I'm sorry, that will not be happening again. You are just going to get the one, but there will be another one next week as we kick off season eight. If you are interested, though, in any other guy-related information, you can, of course, find all of that for us at bit.ly slash remember that guy, all one word, all lowercase. We've got our socials. We've got guys of the day almost every day. And do you guys got anything else as we wrap this up? We continue the inevitable march towards the World Series, which James refuses to acknowledge, but which I will will into existence. It's going to be Phil Zos. It's going to be the Battle of I-95. There's going to be Deal. a lot of argument over what constitutes crab fries. It's going to be. No, there won't be. Okay, come on. You know better than that. There <laughs> won't be that. As a Philadelphian, I will take the side that I know that is wrong in order to defend my heritage. The World Series isn't what's going to end this show. That is what's going to end this show. <laughs> I, I will I will seed the point for now, but get a couple of Mick Ultras in me and I, it might be different. If the Orioles are anything other than 2-0 and in the ALDS as of the time you were hearing this Monday, I'm on fucking life support. And I've been James. I've been the very special guest, Xavier. I've been married to the very special guest, Caitlin. <laughs> I'm not married to anybody else on this show, but I have been Diaz. And just like Callum Scott, we're not the guys you're taking home. <laughs> <laughs> Ceremony better be done by six. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be up there with my phone out. Otherwise, I'm if pretty it's, sure. Ceremony yeah. is not done at six with a four thirty start. Then, like, we're all going to leave and watch the game at that point. Something has gone horribly wrong if this is dragged on for ninety minutes. The DJ should start like playing them off by that point. Diaz exactly. is gonna be the mayhem guy from that commercial where it's like, I'm your sports obsessed best man. And I can't believe you scheduled this wedding for game day. I I'm sorry. Dean Winters has a whole fucking career out here, and you're just calling him the mayhem guy? Like, he was on Oz and 30 Rock.